0: This is In Perspective with Bob Branco and Peter Alchul.
1: Hello again, everybody. Welcome once again to In Perspective. My name is Bob Branco. This is episode two forty-two. And before we continue, let me introduce Peter Alchul, my good friend and co-host. Peter, how are you?
2: We're doing great. It's supposed to get to fifty degrees here for the next over the next two or three days. Uh, so compared to what you guys are supposed to be getting. Uh, We feel very blessed.
1: You are blessed. And do us a favor. Send it up here. (laughs) You'll (laughs) get it eventually, maybe. For those who are unaware, we are getting a blizzard tomorrow in New England. Two feet of snow with a lot of wind. So whatever you folks can do, Peter from Missouri, and I know there's somebody else from Long Beach out there, send us that warm weather as soon as (laughs) possible. My wife and I would greatly appreciate it. Before we continue, let me offer some thanks to people who make it possible for In Perspective to exist. We start out with Raymond Gay, our producer. Tom and Lynn from Rosie's Place. They post our shows on Greeting Door 15 on that line. Also, our media outlets. Thank you very, very much for airing us. And finally, to my website designer, Jacqueline Sylvia of JS Web Solutions. She archives In Perspective on my site. All you have to do to find the archives is go to www.BrancoEvents.com, arrow down until you get to In Perspective Podcasts, click on those, and you will see all of our archived programs from latest to earliest.
2: Thank you all for joining us. Thank you, merci, Jackie. And thank you for all of you who make us sound better than we actually do.
1: Back again, we have Abby Johnson-Taylor. She is an author, We've had her on In Perspective before talking about another one of her books, but she has written another one, and so she's here to talk about that and some other projects that she's working on. The name of her book is entitled, Why Grandma Doesn't Know Me. And to talk about that more, let me introduce Abby Johnson Taylor. Abby, as always, it's a real pleasure having you on In Perspective. Welcome.
3: Thank you, Bob and Peter, for having me. It's my pleasure
2: so Abby uh I'm gonna ask you the question I often ask my uh, the guests uh whoever they are uh tell us about yourself a little bit
3: okay well um I was born in New York City in nineteen sixty one um I was born without any optic nerve but as they told me the 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 optic nerve the area where the optic nerve is supposed to be got pinker and pinker as I grew older and we lived in New York City for about a year, and then moved to Colorado, and then finally Arizona, and then finally settling here in Wyoming in 1973. I spent about the first five and a half years of my elementary school education at the Arizona State School for the Blind in Tucson, and then I was mainstreamed for about the second half of my second fifth grade year. I had to I had to repeat the fifth grade, and so I had to I, had, I spent the second part of that year being mainstreamed into public school and then we moved up here in 1973 and I have been in public schools. I was in public schools for the rest of my education. I graduated from Sheridan High School in 1980 and I went to Sheridan College for a couple of years where I majored in music performance and got an Associate of Arts degree. I graduated from there in 1982, and then went to Billings, Montana, which is about 150 miles north of here, where I attended Rocky Mountain College. And at that time, I also majored in music performance. I was there for two and a half years, graduating in 1985. I then decided to go into music therapy, so I spent another two years at Montana State University, also in Billings. Um and, and those were years of classwork and also nine hours of practicum, after which I completed a six-month internship in music therapy at a nursing home in Fargo, North Dakota. And then I moved back here in 1987. Or a 1988, excuse me. And then I, I worked for 15 years in a nursing home here in Sheridan and also with other facilities serving senior citizens in the area doing music therapy, music, different music activities, one on one in groups. I also taught Braille. I facilitated a support group for the visually impaired adults. And I also served on the advisory board to a trust fund that provides uh equip- adaptive equipment to, to children and adults who are blind or visually impaired and in 2005 i quit all that married my late husband bill and started writing full-time i take an interest in that back in 2000 and so but after marrying bill i started doing it full-time three months after we were married bill suffered a stroke It's the first of two strokes actually that paralyzed his left side and i ended up having to take care of him at home um, he had a second one in 2007, which wasn't as severe, but it was enough to where he could never walk again. So I took care of him at home for until he passed in 2012. And meanwhile, during that time, I published, well, in 2007, I published my first novel, We Shall Overcome. And then in 2011, I published a poetry collection called How to Build a Better Mousetrap, Recollections and Reflections of a Family Caregiver. And then in 2014, I published my a poetry collection called That's Life, New and Selected Poems. And then in 2016, I published a memoir called My Ideal Partner, How I Met, Married, and Cared for the Man I Loved Despite Debilitating Odds. And then in uh, 2019, I published The Red Dress, which is a novel. And then just back in October of this year, I published Why Grandma Doesn't Know Me.
2: Before we get into Why Grandma Grandma Doesn't Know Me, talk uh, talk to us a little about the 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 sort of trajectory of your writing career especially sort of the plots of your more recent novels
3: okay well now the red dress uh the red dress and, and it has a bit of a different plot it's about um a, a young woman who goes to her senior prom and she's wearing a red dress that her mother made for her. And after she danced with boy of her dreams, she catches him in flagrante delecto in the backseat of uh, his car with her best friend, and which is very, very uh, traumatic. Could you explain
1: uh, what in flagrante directo" means for those in, who don't in, know?
3: Oh, I'm sure. In flagrante is just a nice way of saying in the act. It's, it's a legal uh, term, in flagrante delecto. It's a, it's a legal term. It just means c- catching them in the act of doing something they probably should not have been doing. So In the, in
1: the back of a car, shall we in say. In the back
3: seat of a car. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yes, exactly. Yes, yes. More yes.
1: common practice than it should be, but I understand that. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, I, I quite agree with you. But that is a, the sort of thing that does happen. And so anyway, so her mother... Uh, t- makes her take the dress with her to college because she thinks she might need it for some special occasion. So she does, and she puts it in the back of her back of her closet. And then her college roommate bullies her into giving the dress to her to wear to the homecoming dance and letting her keep it. And when she gets home, and her mother finds out, her mother is not happy, and that affects their relationship. And so then, 25 years later, she's happily married with three kids, and she's a she's a best-selling author. And then she meets her. Um, best friend by chance, and her old college roommate uh, friends her on Facebook, and so she's having to deal with the face of past in order to deal with the present.
2: Okay, okay, and and your poetry, talk about your poetry.
3: All right, well, um, my poetry is on a variety of subjects. Uh, How to Build a Better Mousetrap is a full collection divided into four parts. The first part is is about was was inspired by my caregiving experiences and it basically tells the story of how bill had his stroke and how i took care of him and topics related to that and then the second part is um a is called just just recollections which is basically childhood memories and then the third part is um reflections and that is on different topics And then the fourth part, the last part is called Aging, is is on Aging. And these are poems inspired by my experiences working as a registered music therapist in a nursing home. And so, and then the other collection, That's Life, is just a series of poems, basically about things that can happen to one in life, like my husband having a stroke, uh, new things I heard on the news. Uh, there's one, there's a couple about memories of, of one about uh, how me learning French in high school and that kind, just different, different kind of slices of life type of poems.
2: So, so an example of the French you learned in high school is Merci Jackie, perhaps?
3: Uh, Yeah, actually. Yeah, that was. That was. Yes, absolutely. Yeah.
2: All right. So um, uh, let's uh, let's focus a little bit on more on your most recent book, Why Grandma Doesn't Know Me. Uh, What I suspect that this book is uh, is based in part, at least on some of your experiences. Can you talk about? Some of the experiences that tied into the to this book, into the writing well, of this book.
3: Uh, yes, well, the parents in this book are both involved in community theater, as were my parents when I was growing up. They loved doing plays together, and they were often the nights where they were off rehearsing, and kind of when new kids were kind of left to our own devices. And so that's basically the only thing, the, the only part of that book that it that is based on my true experiences. The rest is purely fiction uh,
2: but i noticed there's a, quite a lot of talk about uh, uh about alzheimer's in the book and i would imagine but uh, in your work in nursing home as a music therapist that that must have had some input, oh input yes input yes on the absolutely well. yes yeah. yes
3: absolutely yes it did it did yes but i never had nobody in my family as well no, oh no i take that back my grandfather had alzheimer's um but uh, but you know he I, I never saw him because he was living in Denver while we were here, so I didn't really have much you know experience with him. As but you had hands-on
1: other, experience at the nursing with, home.
3: At the nursing home, absolutely yes, that's yes. right, that's right.
1: So
2: and one one more thing I noticed is that the book is primarily based out of Sheridan, Wyoming, which sounds like yes. a familiar place to you. So describe Sheridan for us. Talk about what is what is Sheridan like.
3: Well, uh, we're we are we're, we're not we're we're a pretty good sized town now now when we first moved here in 73 we didn't there wasn't a lot there that we have now we didn't have a walmart and um, but we do have that and we and we do and there it is it is growing um, i can't really tell you exactly the the population but it's it's a pretty good sized town we've got you know lots of schools you know public schools there's one catholic school we just have the one hospital um, let's see i'm trying to think uh, we do have a college, a community college. And, but, you know, we're just we're just a good-sized a good sized town.
2: So, and, and, of course, the college plays a significant part in the book. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and yes. It, it, it's interesting. Uh, you know, the, the, the whole Sheridan. I've never been to Wyoming, so I was sort of
1: intrigued by now, the way is that you described uh, describe Sheridan. Abby, is that a community college or a four-year college?
3: No, it's a community college. Okay. Yeah.
2: So the book has a lot to say about how Alzheimer's works and doesn't work. So talk to talk to us about your understanding of what Alzheimer's is and how it impacts people and families.
3: Well, um, the, here's the thing uh, when you, when a person has um, Alzheimer's, it's gradual, uh, you know, it can start by just, you know, basically forgetting little things and it just gets worse. And then, and then it can get to the point where people don't recognize their family members sometimes. And this is definitely true of the grandmother. For some we, we sh- for some reason, she recognizes her younger granddaughter, Sarah, but does not know Natalie, the older girl. And there's a reason for that that comes out in the book later.
1: Could you elaborate for us, Abby, because a lot of people are confused about this. Is there a difference between beginners Alzheimer's and dementia?
3: Well, the, yeah, the, the, the beginning Alzheimer's is... You know, it starts like just forgetting little things, like almost almost forgetting an appointment, maybe, or maybe, you know, for forgetting something, or forgetting a recipe. Uh, and then it just gets worse where you get to the point where you, you've forgotten what time it is. You sometimes don't know where you are. It just gets prog- progressively worse until you get to the point where you just, you know, you don't know where you are. You don't know who anybody is. And people take it differently. Some people, you know, can get angry and get violent because they don't know what's going on and, and they can yell and they can, you know, lash out and then some of the, some others can just kind of just take it in stride and okay. And, uh, and try and deal with it. And so, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's basically how it works.
2: Okay. Well, one of the things that struck me about, uh, the, the, the way it happens in the book is that the, the grandmother who has Alzheimer's, um, remembers certain things at some time and forgets the same things at other times, you know, so she'll remember right. meeting, meeting Natalie and talking to her. At, at, and then she forgets about it.
1: Right. So exactly. When her mother comes
2: in and says, Hey, what did you say to my, to my daughter? And the grandmother doesn't remember. more exactly. powerful yeah, moments that's just of the book. It. yeah.
3: That's just it. She doesn't remember. That's, yeah. that's just that's it. A sign. Yeah. Yes.
2: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I I thought that was really, really one of the more interesting and moving parts of the book. So, so the grandmother, uh, Natalie is the older child, right? The older of, of two, of two two sisters, if you will. And uh, on a Halloween evening, she calls, well, Natalie shows up and grandmother says, close the door. I want to talk to you. And without giving away too much of the book, what does she tell uh, Natalie?
3: Well, she tells Natalie that the secret that, um, that she's known for years and that just suddenly just came out. She tells her a secret and that is kind of the whole point of the book. And so after that, you know, Natalie doesn't know what to do. So she tells her parents the same secret, you know, after she does a little research, you know, just to be sure that her grandmother is not you know, making things up. And so when she finds out that what her grandmother has told her is true, then she tells her parents. And of course, this is this is something that impacts their marriage. And so during the course of the book between October, Halloween, and Christmas, they're dealing with this. And other things happen that, that you know, uh, become, that create tension.
2: And uh, not to give too much away, but the secret is something to do with in delecto, as I received uh, your work
3: Well, yeah, actually, they weren't caught. It wasn't in a fla- in flagrante delecto. It was more like a, an extra you know but the actual act itself without being caught
2: yeah that that that's actually more accurate yes. that's yes. actually that's actually more accurate but it you know yes. it, is, it is one of those interesting things that happens and it and uh you know the 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 mother mother and father uh, were married but they uh, uh the uh, mother wasn't the father wasn't aware the, the husband wasn't wasn't aware of this and it and it caused some trouble in the marriage exactly yeah yes yeah yeah So, um, there is also an author in the book who plays a significant part, uh, talk about that, that author who actually is in Laramie, right?
3: Right. The author lives in Laramie. He, he authors children's books and, um, he, he is, I, I, like I say, I really don't want to give away the whole, you know, the big secret, but yes, he does play an important part, uh, later, uh, later on in, in the book.
2: Yeah. So, um what's what's your audience to whom did you write the book for?
3: Well, it would appeal to younger i I think I originally thought of it as something for for uh, younger readers, you know teenagers, uh young adult readers, but I think anybody of all ages would enjoy it and I've actually had readers, older readers who have read it and enjoyed it. so I think it could be for anyone of all of any age
2: yeah I, I think I think that's probably right, although i my my impression of the book is is it was sort of a Circumstance where, you know, a crisis happens and how the family, especially the older daughter, reacts to the crisis. Right. And, and, and grows through it. Right. Um, is that is that a fair assessment?
3: Yes. Yes. I think that's right.
2: Yeah. And talk about um, Natalie as the book opens. What is she like?
3: Well, she's very self-centered. At the beginning of the book, uh, she... You know, her her mother promises the grandmother that that she will take her sister, Natalie will take her sister trick-or-treating at the nursing home because the parents have rehearsal that night. So there's nobody else to take Sarah and Sarah's only 10, so she really can't go out by herself not in this day and age. Now, you know, back in the 60s when I was growing up, I don't I don't think that was sort of thing was unheard of. But nowadays, no. So she'd have to be chaperoned. And Natalie really doesn't want to do that. She was hoping to go to her friend's Halloween party, which by the way, would would have been unsupervised with no parents around. And so who knows what have, what would have happened there. But anyway, so she's more like a a self-centered teen. But then as the book progresses and she learns the secret you know, she starts growing up and starts, you know, realizing that she's not the only one in the world.
2: And it really, it really is a, it really it does happen through a number of circumstances where she really does grow up over that three-month period. And describe Sarah a little bit. Sarah's the younger uh, sister. Yeah, she's
3: the younger girl. She's 10 years old. She's more, you know, she, she's more caring about people. You know, she's energetic. She's bubbly. You know, she has ideas and, you know, she's not one to be easily ruffled.
2: She struck me as sort of, especially from Natalie's point of view, as sort of the annoying younger sister,
3: right? Who does, exactly. who does
2: things perfectly, who's bubbly, who
1: who says all right. the right things, and right, you know, right. And, so, and yeah. So, what does Sarah think of Natalie? Tell us about that.
3: Well, I think she looks up to her in a way. I don't. I don't think she, even though know, Natalie sometimes you know mistreats her and and stuff, she doesn't. You know, she looks up to her, and she tries to see the. I think she tries to see the good in everyone.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. And for a, for a sort of a selfish, rebellious teenager, that's sometimes the, sometimes the hardest thing to take, right? You know, the, right, the exactly. Trying, trying to, to to sort of to sort of in her own way, you know, help her uh, connect.
3: Right, exactly.
2: Yeah, no, it's 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 that kind of sister relationship is really well drawn out in the book. So those who have an older and a younger sister, it's it's. It's well done. I I thought that description of the relationship was interesting. And um, so uh, part of the book takes place in Laramie, Wyoming. I I assume you've been to Laramie, correct?
3: Oh yes, yeah, Yeah. I I actually have. I I, yes, I've been there. I've never. I didn't attend the university there, but I have been there. You know, for speech when I was in high school, I went there for speech meets, and of course, when my family would drive down to Denver to visit my grandparents, we often drove through there because it was a more scenic tour. So I've been there several times.
2: So talk about Laramie. How how is Laramie different from uh, uh, the the place where the book is is mostly take place?
3: It's it's a university town, so there's 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 more people, more businesses. It's a busier a busier town, but again, it's not really a metropolis like maybe Denver or New York City or LA or anything. But it's definitely bigger, you know, with a lot more going on.
2: Is there a real city? And uh, that may sound like a completely ridiculous question, but I've ever been to Wyoming. Is there a real sort of large city or town in Wyoming?
3: Well, not really. I mean, there's some there's some bigger towns and there's some smaller towns, but none of them are Cheyenne? like. Cheyenne, well, no, Cheyenne's probably not that, not that big. I mean, it is, you know, it, it, it's not like Denver. You know, we really don't have any huge towns. The towns, I mean, they're good size, but they're not large.
1: And they're all in the mountains pretty much, right?
3: Well, some of them are, but some of them are in the valley.
2: Yeah, my, my impression about Wyoming is that it's primarily a rural place, right? Yes, it, yes. It's not, you know, it's, it's not known for its cities or Right. Or, night, or nightlife or, you know. Yeah, it's, it's that's true.
1: Yellowstone different... Park there, too. To help yeah, out.
3: that's right. Yes. Yes. That's, we
1: do have. True. Yes. Right. True.
2: So I'm curious. Talk about your you, you spent many years doing music therapy to talk about that experience and uh, you know what it was like and the kind of work you did as a music therapist and how it influenced the uh, how it influenced the way you write.
3: Well, as a, I most like I said, I mostly worked in nursing homes and I did a lot of uh, activities with the residents, like we did a lot of singing, sing alongs we did name that tune. I brought in a game called musical bingo, where instead of calling out a number and letter, I'd sing a song and they'd mark them off, work the same way. Uh, we did a lot of like music and, and memories where we would sing songs related to a particular topic. And then and then people would, could reminisce about that topic and that sort of thing. And then I did a lot of one-to-one with people who are bedridden, people who, wouldn't, who couldn't talk, who couldn't really move, but who did respond somewhat. They'd squeeze my hand or they'd, they'd smile when I'd sing them a song and... So, and as far as how that influenced my writing, that kind of gave me, you know, ideas of how to, uh, how to portray, you know, people who have Alzheimer's. In fact, I've got, grandma isn't, why grandma doesn't know me, doesn't, isn't the only one that has a, a character with Alzheimer's. The other book, The Red Dress, there is the mother in The Red Dress, has Alzheimer's in a nursing home. She's a minor character, though. She doesn't really play into the story that much, but she's just one of those minor characters. But, um, so the. My experience with with the, with the residents with Alzheimer's really gave me fodder for these stories. Uh, as well as I want things. to
1: go back to the singing bingo. Can you explain a little more how that? works?
3: Oh, musical bingo. Yes. Well, it's just like regular bingo. The cards have song titles on them. So instead of me calling B fourteen, I would you know play my guitar and sing a song, and then of course, and so it worked. And then if it, a song was on the card, they'd mark it. And then when we get, I think we'd do the whole card.
1: So there were twenty four. Because well, actually, it's, it's I i square. did I
3: did 12 songs and we just did the blackout. We didn't try it because the, the, the cards were rectangular. They didn't have like rows. It was just kind of, they're just rectangular cards with all the songs on them. And then we just did the whole card. So cool. it, it was all, it was, just, it was just one game. And it usually take maybe half an hour to 45 minutes to get, you know, get until, get through until where somebody could, could, uh, you know, had a bingo.
2: So, so talk to, I. Uh, so as a music therapist, you were in nursing homes. Um, talk to me about the kinds of things you saw there. How did families react to folks in nursing homes? How did the what was the life like for this, for the folks who live there? What, what, what well, were your impressions about, about nursing homes in general?
3: You know, the problem with a lot of these nursing homes, they're run by corporations, and who are more into money as opposed to people. So, needless to say, they're short staffed because they're not paying their aides, you know, especially the nurses' aides enough. And so, there's a there's a high staff turnover, you know, because some of these young people who are working, they have family to support, and some, you know, and and and. You know, and if if they find a job like at the hospital or somewhere else that pays higher, they're going to move. And of course, with being short staffed and residents don't get all the all the attention that they need. Now, we have one of the places uh, facilities we have here in Sheridan is a new concept. It's called Greenhouse. And this is a place where there instead of one big building, there are four, they call them cottages. They're just smaller home style buildings that house each house. Up to twelve residents, and each resident has his their own his or her own room, and and there's in and the ratio of, so the ratio of staff to residents is much better. The residents can get individualized attention. Um, the facilities are are it's smaller, so it's not as noisy. And it's very pleasant. Uh, it's in a kind of a, at the base of the mountains, so people can have the view of the mountains. And it's just a more home-like environment. When you come to visit, you have to ring the doorbell, just like you would if you were coming to somebody's home and, and that kind of thing. So it's more like a homey environment. I never actually worked in such a place, but I was, when my late husband, uh, after he had his stroke, right before he passed, I was hoping to get him into this place because I, he was getting to the point where I couldn't lift him anymore. It was very hard for me to do that. And we had to move into back to the nursing home uh, where he recuperated after his stroke, which was the same facility where I worked. But we wanted to get him into the greenhouse, but then he passed before that could happen. But I think it's a, it's a nice concept. And if I ever have to go to a nursing home, which I hope I die before that happens, yeah. but if I do have to go... That would be the type of place I would want to
1: It's go. more of a homey atmosphere. And yes, A lot exactly. of elders
3: yes. uh,
1: would prefer that kind of living than the kind of living that they have to yes. uh, fulfill in the nursing home.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: So I, I would imagine, you know, the music therapy work that you do was probably a bright spot for a lot of the uh, folks yes, who were it in was. the traditional it nursing was. home. You know, it, it's it's not a great place to be right I no mean, it's
3: not it's yeah. not but yes and it was and especially even those with Alzheimer's they might not remember who I am but they see me with a the guitar they remember the music you know
2: so yeah so talk about that talk about the connection between music I meant to ask you this anyway the, the connection between music and Alzheimer's you know uh, uh I, I, there's some illusion I think in your book if not I've read it elsewhere that sometimes music can really unlock memories for, for people absolutely so talk about how that, how <laughs> absolutely.
3: That absolutely well i'm not exactly i can't really tell you exactly how it works but right. if you sing a song to somebody you know it might remind them of it might have been their favorite song or it might remind them of something pleasant that happened and people who don't normally might not normally talk otherwise might start talking to you oh i remember that and and this and, and this happened and yes it, it can it can really it can really unlock those doors and, and bring those people out of their shell.
2: And um, does that transfer to, I mean, if it, can that transfer to other memories? In other words, does one memory unlock another memory. So is it more likely? Yeah. Is is it more likely they might recognize somebody that they might not have recognized otherwise? It's
3: it's possible. I've never seen that happen that I can recall, but I, it's possible.
2: Yeah. No, I, I just find that fascinating. Um, I mean, music therapy is—it can be a very powerful thing. I, 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 when I um, uh, was in was was in a hospital, one of the things the music therapist did, and I wonder if you did something similar, but uh, but my uh, the audience was different. Uh, they uh, they played us a song and said, "Okay, we we want you to rewrite the lyrics."
3: Oh yes, I um I actually when I did my internship in Fargo, North Dakota, my supervisor did that kind of thing. Um, and what she would what we would do, <coughs> you know. We pick the topic, the group would pick the topic, and then uh, you know, try we try to decide we want it to be fast or slow, and then we would pick the tune that we might want to write it to, and then we we would do it together. Um, I never really tried that much uh, when I did it, but you know, it it's it's a, a definitely an engaging activity.
2: Uh, it, it can be very it could be a very powerful therapeutic healing activity if, if done well.
3: Yes, yes, absolutely
2: yeah it was it was really it was interesting to watch
3: oh it yeah, was,
2: yeah interesting to watch um, so what is the message or messages you hope to take to uh, for people to to get out of uh, why grandma doesn't know who I am?
3: Well, I think the you know, I think the, the idea is that you know children need <coughs> a stable family environment and you know, I I I I myself am a firm believer in not doing you know doing anything to uh, that would shatter a you know a stable and family environment. So I, I think you know and I think it's important that we that they learn that you know that people understand that sometimes when you get married and you have children, you have to think of them, you have to put them first, I think. And um so that, that's kind of the idea. And Fortunately, in this case, you know, it does it does work out. I'm not going to give away the ending, but it does work out well in the end. But it it can be marriage and having children can be a sacrifice. But it's, you have to you just have to do it. You know, for yeah. the sake of the children.
2: Yeah. I, I, and of course, the, the exception, of course, and, and this has not happened in the book at all, is if there's abuse involved. You know, sometimes right. it really is the only way to right. stop the abuse is to leave. You know, well, I mean, there is
3: there is no abuse here. I assure you. Right? That. No,
2: there absolutely, there no, is absolutely, absolutely not.
3: No, no abuse yeah. here. There's something, yeah. and like I say, I don't want to give away. Yeah. You know, the the main plot of the book. So. Yeah.
2: And uh, talk about squeakers. How did you you get the idea of squeakers?
3: Well, now that, yeah, I was, before squeakers came along, I was kind of blocked because I didn't know how the heck, I had torn the family apart, but now I didn't know how I was going to put it back together. It's, you know, it's kind of like if you, if you take some, take to apart an appliance, and oh my gosh, what am I doing? How am I going to get this back together again? I can't do it. And then the idea just popped into my head: a dog, a dog, uh, and you know. And so Squeakers is kind of the the glue that kind of puts everybody back together because everybody loves the dog. I like and, that name. You know, and yes. <laughs> well, I like, that. <laughs> I like
2: that name too. That's very funny
3: yeah right and so yeah that just the yeah, idea just popped into my head to, to insert the dog and that seemed to work that seemed to, to bring everything back together
2: so uh, uh without uh, how does squeaker come into come into the picture
3: well they, they find him in the park and the, the the father and the two girls find the dog in the park and sarah wants to call him squeakers because you know he's whining he's cold he's hungry he's just a little puppy and just abandoned and he's whining and so, you know, she wants to call him
2: Squeakers. I, I think I, that, that's such a great name, I, 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 Squeakers. Yeah, she's Squeakers. Here's
1: Squeakers. Here's squeakers.
2: Although I, I, now that I think about it, uh, as a guide dog name, that might not work too well. Yeah, yeah, but, you know. uh,
3: probably not as a guide dog, but luckily nah. in this case.
2: <laughs> no, there's, there's no guide dog involved. So no. one of the things um, that I liked about the book, uh, and I have a bias, is that um, I think too many of us authors who are blind write about blindness and you did not in this particular book. No. Um, uh, you write about other disabilities, but you don't write about blindness. Um, was there, uh, do you have any philosophy about that or did it just work out that way? You know, I,
3: I don't try I don't sit out and say, okay, I'm going to write a book about nobody who's blind. No, the ideas just come to me. Okay. This is what's going to happen. And, and now I do have a blind character who doesn't appear in the red dress. And that is, um, uh, a woman of uh, an aunt, Polly. Uh, and see, because one of the characters in that, the uh, their address, uh, Eve's, my main character's son, see her last name is Sawyer. And so they decided it might be nice to name him Thomas Sawyer, you know, Tom Sawyer. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. because the, the father in that family has a sister, Polly, who's in California, who's blind. And, you know, so I, I did work the blind aspect in there. And but- Tom
1: Sawyer's, in the other Tom Sawyer, his aunt's name was Polly.
3: Right. Exactly. That's just it. Exactly. So, but otherwise I don't set out to write, uh, I don't decide, okay, there's going to be a blind character or there's not going to be a blind character. If there is, you know, it just happens that way, but it's not like I decide I'm going to write about a blind character or someone in a wheelchair. Of course, with the, you know, with grandma, I knew, you know, it had to be a grandma with Alzheimer's. Otherwise it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't work. Right. But otherwise I don't set out to write about characters with disabilities unless they pop into my head.
2: You're listening to In Perspective. Abby Johnson Taylor as our guest. Talk about how you wrote the book. In other words, sort of the the trajectory of writing the book. Did did, did you write daily? How did did you sort of-
3: Well, I, you know, I wrote- you know, when I could, I have other obligations. I've got a blog that I'm posting to daily. I have other things that I write for and things that I'm doing, but I would write, you know, at least, you know, to work on it, maybe two or three days a week. And then I belong to a writing group that we get together on Saturday mornings via phone conference. And I would send chapters of the book to them and, and they would provide feedback. And so that's not working. And I'm, thinking it probably didn't take me longer than than maybe well maybe about a year to write it and then I put it aside for a while I always do that when I write something I put it aside for a while and then come back to it a few months later with fresh eyes and then maybe another year to edit it and get it ready for publication
1: and more important where can we find the book
3: well, it's right now. It's available from Smashwords and Amazon and other online retailers. It's also on Bookshare. I am working on getting it on Bard. I have been in touch with Nancy Gehagen at the Perkins Library, but she know said her? They, they Yes, they they have a, a backlog of books right now. It might not be till next year, but it, it will eventually be recorded and put up on Bard.
1: All right. So, uh, How about so Bookshare. What? How about Bookshare?
3: Yes, Bookshare It is on Bookshare. Sure. Yes, it's sure. on Bookshare.
2: So uh, what is your web address? How can people f- learn more um, about it's, your, um, your writing? A,
3: yeah, it's https colon slash slash dot com. And there is a contact form on that site. So if anybody would like to reach me by email, they can just use that form.
2: So it's abbyjohnsontaylor.com, right. A-B-B-I-E. Johnson, yes, that's it, johnsontaylor.com, Taylor. yes, uh, yes. It, it, somebody, is that Ray, or somebody wanted to say something?
1: Well, we would like to bring our participants on the program to ask Abby some questions. And so, Ray, could you facilitate that for us, please? Absolutely.
0: Okay, so for raising your hand, it's Alt-Y on PC, Option-Y on Mac, Star-9 on uh, telephone and under the more tab on smartphones for unmuting yourself it's alt a on pc uh command shift a on mac star six on telephone and lower left on smartphones we have phone number ending in 597 you are up first 597 please unmute yourself
2: and say hi
3: oh hi calandra
1: hi calandra
3: Hey, everyone. I had a nice birthday uh, the day before yesterday, and I came back last night.
0: Um anyway, I would like to ask um a question um, two questions. first of all, where did you ever graduate from high school? and
3: and do you like to do any other things besides writing? Yeah, sure. Um, I graduated. Like na- yes, yes, I graduated from high school in 1980. And yes, when I'm not writing, I love to sing. And I also played the piano and guitar. And I will I, I i frequently entertain at a nursing homes and assisted living facilities i don't do the music therapy anymore but i will just go there for their bu- birthday socials or whenever and just play the guitar and piano and sing i also sing with a group called just harmony we're a women's choral group we sing a lot of barbershop cool. and yeah and we sing a lot of barbershop and some three and four part harmonies and so and when i'm not doing that i do i do I? I now started teaching water exercise classes at the Y. I also enjoy reading books, of course, listening to podcasts, and of course, attending these ACB community calls. Yeah, um, I play piano too. So me and you and I are going to have to get together and do a duet or something. <laughs> well, if we were lived in the same town, that might be possible. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I like your. I enjoy hearing your voice. And- oh, thank you.
2: Thank Thank you so much, Calandra. uh, Calandra. Uh, Ray, who's next?
0: Beth, you are up next. Hey, Beth. Hey, Beth. Hello, everybody.
3: Hi, Hi, Natalie. Natalie. Hi. I'm thoroughly enjoying this. uh, Abby, thank you for doing this. My question concerns your vision. I found it very interesting that you were talking about your optic nerves, nerves, and I was wondering how much vision do you have, and how does that, if at all, how does that um, come across in your, in your writing? D- can, can you describe things in your writing based on what you have visually seen? Well, I do have enough vision. I can see people and objects if they're close enough. I can read print if it's large enough. Um, I do use a white cane when I travel around town, mostly as a security blanket. When I was younger, I was quite reckless and didn't bother with the cane. Didn't even learn it until I was in college. But uh, and- so
1: you didn't. So you didn't raise cane.
3: No, I did not raise No, I did not raise Kane. I never have raised Kane. I've been I've always tried to be good, you know. Now, the second when I was in second grade and my younger brother was born, they say I was jealous of him and that was but that's another story. But anyway, to getting back to answering Beth's question. Um, uh you know, I I have a hard time sometimes with descriptions. I often have to just use what I've read or heard. Because myself, it's hard for me to describe things. So, so you don't sp- see in detail. You see people, and yeah, objects. I can see people, and I can see what I can see, hair color, and that kind of thing. But you know, as far as you know, figuring out, I, and I can see how tall they are. But it just, it's hard for me to take no facial that, expressions. Yeah, no, I no, definitely no facial expressions. So I have to kind of guess, and so a lot of that stuff I have to glean from other books that I have read. And other other ways that authors have described things. Okay, what, what, thank you what, very much. Thank you. You're thank welcome. You what
2: Thanks, what I what I noticed. Uh, Beth's comment reminds me of what I noticed in the book: is that a lot of the descriptions happen through dialogue, right? Right. You describe yes. certain things through the way the yes. conversation is headed, and that's that works really, really well. Uh, Does you know, I, I, and I. I
3: you know uh i'm i'm a firm believer in sh- in more showing and less telling yep. and dialogue is a great way to do that
2: i agree with that uh, I, actually before we go on to the next question what what is uh, showing not telling mean to you just okay help, help well showing
3: means, means uh, showing okay it means that you you show the reader you let the reader see what's going on to dialogue through what people are saying a- instead of just telling them um Ah, I'm trying to think of the best, but, you know, you can tell, okay, this happened, this happened, this happened. But say you have two people to get together and they have a conversation. They talk about, you know, what happened as opposed to, you know, the narrative. If you've ever read anything by Danielle Steele, often enough, she will just give a lot of narrative. Okay, this is what happened first. And the, the family got together and they did this and they did that. And they had a wonderful time, blah, blah. But, you know, you could actually have a family getting together, seeing you all around the table. Oh, we're having such fun. This is a good meal. And, you know, you could actually show them as opposed to just telling us that yeah. this happened. I hope that makes it more clear. You no, know, no,
2: it does. I, I was just curious to you know what your take on it was, because yeah. I heard different takes on that uh, that that expression. So thank right. you for that.
1: Okay. Uh, right. Who do we have next?
4: Next up, we have Pam. Hi, okay. Pam. Hey, Pam. Hey, great, great topic great presentation
3: well thank you
4: i may have missed this my
3: apologies i had to step away at one point for a few minutes but sure um, my question is do do you have children no, I don't. Um, my husband and I were, I never, I didn't marry anybody before my late husband. And that was in 2005. And by that time I was in my forties and he was in his sixties and it was too, really too late gotcha. for us to have children, which is just gotcha. as well because he suffered a stroke three months later. And so I couldn't help think, well, it's a good thing I didn't have kids. then I would have had to take care of the, a child and him. So yeah, oh, it, worked, it worked out. That would have been awful. It worked out for the best. So,
2: so okay. got it. Uh, without getting too personal, how was it like being single for all those years? You know, you were obviously busy. uh, I I
3: was busy and I I actually, I I enjoyed it. You know, I've heard, I I had a, a friend in college who was abused by her husband and I've heard a lot of, you know, I heard a lot of stories about, other marriages, husbands cheating on them, and, and or that kind of thing. And so I was just glad that I was not in that situation. I really didn't care. It didn't bother me that I wasn't married. And I, you know, I would have been content to stay that way uh, if I hadn't met Bill. Uh, so it, it really didn't bother me that much. I I liked it. I, I was enjoying it.
2: No, I understand that. Uh, I'm, I'm sort of, I was sort of in sort of a similar place. So I sort of understand that. Well, thank you, you know.
1: Pam.
0: Yeah.
2: Thank you, thank Pam.
1: You, Pam. Who do we Ray? have next, right?
0: Next up, we have Ann.
1: Is that Ann? Hi, Ann. Hey. There Good you are. <laughs> Hi, oh, where's
3: Annie? Okay. Hey, hey, yeah.
1: How are the vegetables, vegetables going? Is
3: coming? Yeah. that's that's my...
1: Did you chop them yet?
3: <laughs> Did you get the vegetables thing here? <laughs> well, hang on. So I got my.
4: Okay. Oh, my, speech, my speech on my new iPad is just being yeah i I know um abby i uh, i have to admit i haven't read your book yet but it's on my list and uh i read the red dress and uh and i really liked it a lot um i want to know what's in it for you next what are you going to do
3: what's your next book um that (laughs) i haven't figured out yet um I, I, you know, I I, I think I might do, I, I've got a bunch of short stories. In fact, I wrote some stories a while back. I had a collection I started um, called Welcome to Wyoming, which are stories that are set in Wyoming. And I was inspired to write that by uh, reading another short story collection called The State We're In about short stories that take place in Maine. And I can't think of the, oh, it's Ann Beattie. Um, And so I thought, well, I could do a short story collection uh, of stories that take place here in Wyoming. So uh, that might possibly be my next project, but I really haven't decided yet. I'm busy, you know, promoting my book and, you know, submitting stuff here and there and everywhere. And um, hopefully something will will come to me. But I think I probably will probably try the uh, short story collection, maybe.
4: I think that's a great idea. And I, I have Thank one you. question you just mentioned about submitting things. Could you speak a little about the submission process and how, How we, I mean, for me, it's very intricate. Like I have, first have to find out like, if the publication is accepting my stuff, then I have to read about the stuff on the publication to see if it fits. And yes. Then, you know, make yes. a spreadsheet. And could you speak on that a little well, bit about uh, with, the, with publications,
3: I'm not familiar with. Yes, I do try to find out, you know, to read the publication. Of course, I, and some of them now do have online, you know, uh, are available online. Yeah. Um but but there's still a lot of them are, are only available in print and you know those are difficult for me to read. If I can get it online or in Kindle or something, I'll read it, you know, to kind of get an idea of what but you know most of the stuff I've su- I submit to is stuff I've submitted before. Because okay. uh yeah, because oftentimes um I hate you know, I when I submit something a couple things somewhere and they don't take it, it's like okay, maybe they're you know, maybe I should focus on stuff that will Places that will take my work. I mean, once in a while I will. But most of the time I'm submitting to like Magnets and Ladders, the Writer's Grapevine, uh, the Avocet, the publications that I submitted to before that usually will take my work.
2: Annie, you, you didn't answer our question. What? How once, your are vegetable, your oh. vegetables doing?
4: <laughs> um, I'm waiting for the chicken to cook. The vegetables are steamed and the um, I made like a... Um, a cold uh, cucumber salad
3: with oh, nice. and
4: carrots and um, a little bit of um, apple cider vinegar and um, a little bit of sugar. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. And letting it chill. So, yeah.
2: Okay. Well, there, there you go. Well, <laughs> it sounds like a fabulous meal. Uh, thank you, Annie. Thanks, You're Annie. Yeah.
1: We have 10 minutes. So, Ray, just keep them coming if they're there.
0: There is not anybody oh, else wow. that's okay wow that's, uh, uh, so wow. if
2: anybody does raise their hand right please let us know uh um so abby i'm curious about your your work as a water what did you say a uh, aquatics and yeah
3: well yeah and this is basically strictly volunteer right. um and i'm not certified or anything but i at the ymca they kind of are short-handed as far as instructors are concerned and so they if it asked they were taking volunteers and i have been taking water exercise classes for years since the 1980s and so i know all the moves and so and i know i'm familiar with how such a class works and plus one of the things i did do at the nursing home was or exercise activities. And I even did one I called singer size, where we'd sing a song and then we would do some kind of exercise, moving our arms and legs or whatever. So I thought, well, if I can do that, I can do this. And it works out well. Um, I do have to have somebody, you know, keep track of the time for me because we work, we, you know, we have to work out, we warm up for 15 minutes and then we do, you know, like some, you know, some peak period, you know, cardio for about 15 minutes. And then, you know, we cool down for a certain period of time. So, you know, I have to have someone keep track of the time for me. But otherwise, it works well. And people seem to really enjoy, you know, my, my classes. So You
1: mentioned earlier that you facilitated vision support groups. We have yes. one here in my city, New Bedford, Massachusetts. Are these people newly blinded? Most vision, of them the most are part? senior
3: citizens who have lost their vision. Yes. And so they're having to, you know, to relearn everything. That is definitely harder than Say my situation where I was born this way, and I've had to deal with it all my life. It's much harder when you lose vision or any kind of bodily function, and you have to relearn how to do things. You know, despite that loss of bodily function.
2: So, if you were to uh, write a book based on your uh, water exercise experience, what what might you say? What What do you observe as you as you're going through this process? What are things that you that catch your attention?
3: Well. One of the things that I think is kind of annoying, but there's really not much I can do about it. people, you know, I, I think if there are a few people there who actually will just y- yammer, yammer or chit chat instead of exercising.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And there's really not much I can do about that. I just have to ignore them. But it's, it's really, it. you know, I, I just find it frustrating. I think, well, if you want to visit, why don't you go to the local coffee shop? Why, yeah. you know, come here, you know, but they do that. And. There, you know, I really, you know, I'm tempted to say, "Okay, ladies, so we're we're here to work out. Let's let's work out and and chit chat later." I can't really do that because we're all adults. If they were kids, yeah. I could, okay, shut up and work out, but I can't do that with adults.
2: <laughs> yeah, and, and I would imagine, uh, you know, if, if a lot of these folks have just lost their sight, that's a, you know, that's one of the few times they might have to socialize. Well, I'm, actually, I'm, I'm these people,
3: these are most of the people are in in my classes are sighted.
2: Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. no. But it, yeah. it, it is a socializing experience especially in the, yes. in, the in virus times right right so, exactly you know, so exactly it is, it's, yes it's understandable as frustrating as it but I'm even sure before
3: is. the virus you know people were talking yeah. you know instead of working out
2: no i understand it's a it's a <laughs> so um I, I, we we can't have this show in without talking about the devorkins i think they edited your book
3: absolutely Our they book. did yes gotta
1: yes. give them a plug they
2: do oh, good yeah work. so so talk about your relationship with them so you send them the yeah, well, you, what
3: you, what usually happens is I, I get in touch with them and, and I tell them, OK, I've got a book. Uh, well, I think what I yeah, uh, I, I tell them I, I, I think I mention I usually what I do is I send them send them the manuscript usually as a word document and then when they have time you know david usually goes through and does the formatting and then leonore will go through and do any editing and she's very good about catching inconsistencies it's not just about grammar punctuation you know if there's inconsistency in the plot or things she doesn't think are going to be realistic she'll let me know she's very good about that she's very and,
1: sharp yes yeah. yeah, yeah. she is
3: very sharp and, and so there's a lot of back and forth between her and me excuse my bad grammar Um uh, and you know about you know what how to proceed with certain problems that she might have come up with which is very good but we work we do that and then once that's done uh she'll send me uh you know uh, her her at the her the manuscript with her edits and i will go through it and then if and sometimes i find thing i find inconsistencies in what she's done sometimes and so i will suggest changes and and she'll make them and um then it, it it uh works and it, it works well that way we work well together
2: and how long approximately did it take for you to you know once, once you started working with her to get the book out as a final um,
3: product i'm trying to think let's see we started last summer i think it, you know it probably didn't take more than maybe a month or so i think we started in september and it was out by you know the first of october so you know once that's she a, gets going it doesn't take long
2: that's a, that's impressive Yes. I think for me, it was closer to two months before a week right. got, got everything. Right. Uh, everything, yeah. everything
1: under Three control. Three months for me on the average. Well, I've written it, four it, books also, so I'm, I like, hate to say
3: problem. I hate to say this, but if a book is well written by the author, it's not going to take them long just to go through and, and add any 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 you know little minor cha- inconsistencies. You know, if there's a lot of grammar or a lot of punctuation mistakes, you know that takes longer.
2: Yeah. No, it a- mm-hmm. absolutely does. So
1: um, Um, Ray, do we have anybody while we have time? We have about three or four minutes left, so I just Uh, want to make sure we give other people an opportunity that are on the call. Six three
2: eight.
3: Oh, six three
0: eight. Oh, from New Mexico, I believe. Oh, okay. Uh, Hi, Beth. Yes, hi. Hi, Beth. Beth Yeah, from New Mexico. I think this is a wonderful presentation. Um, and I also wanted to ask you, how come you don't do the music therapy anymore? I i kinda I know that it does work because um, when I was in a rehab center uh, my roommate i'm i love music, and my roommate had like dementia, and um she hardly ever spoke except when I would be listening to to gospel or something on christian t v and then she would she would speak, she would say sing along with it sometimes and so i started finding cd's or stuff with gospel gospel music and i would play them for her and uh it did get out of her sh- did, did get her out of her shell a little bit
3: yeah, well, I just no, writing takes up a lot of time, but I just decided that is what I would that that's kind of became my passion. Now, I still entertain. I don't actually do therapy per se, but I do go to nursing home. I don't go to one nursing home and one assisted living facility. And then at the end of February, I'll be playing in a church for their they call it last Friday uh, music series. And so, and so I still do sing for people and, you know, I have people at the nursing home who, you know, do open up and tell me how much they enjoy it. So I am bringing some joy. I'm just not doing the therapy part anymore. Cause I just don't have the time because writing is taking up a lot of oh. time and it's my passion. Right, It's mm-hmm. what I like to do.
2: So. And, and, and that in and the therapy part in some ways can be the hardest part of the music therapy. Right. I mean, that's, that's, where the right. a lot of the psychic energy uh, goes, you know. Uh, right. Music, music's one thing. The right. So, so before uh, Abby, before before we have we about end,
1: one more minute.
2: Yeah. So I just want to make sure. So let's uh, uh, give the title of the book again.
3: Okay. The new book is Why Grandma Doesn't Know Me.
2: And to order the book, you they can do what?
3: You can well, um, you can go to my website abbyjohnsontaylor And you'll find, you know, you'll you'll, you'll click on the link that says books, and then it'll be the first one there. And you'll find um, a link to where you can find more information about it. And there are links there, where You can get it from Bookshare, Amazon, and Smashwords. And you'll also find some reviews and interviews there, too.
2: And that's Abby,
3: Well. T-A-Y-L-O-R.com. And well, con- if you want to get in touch with me, you can just use the contact form on the site.
1: Thank well, you so, so much, Abby. Well, success. Yeah, Abby. Thank you. Continue thank you so much. Continue with your good writings, and uh, we hope to have you back on the show very shortly with more well, news.
3: Well, thank you. Thank you.
1: All right. Abby Taylor, ladies and gentlemen, author of Grandma Why Grandma Doesn't Know Me, has been a guest here on In Perspective today, and we'll have her back again for sure. Next week, we're going to have a current events discussion. We have these frequently on the program, so we're going to have some people on the show talking about current events in this country. and That should uh, be a very healthy discussion indeed. I want to thank Peter again, as always, Ray, for their job, and our participants as well, with good contributions today on the show. Thank you, and go safe with God's abundant blessings.
2: Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Peter. Thanks a <laughs> lot. <laughs> <laughs>